You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Happy Easter. So I want to tell you something. We have had the most amazing weekend at Calvary. It started Friday night with our Good Friday service, which was just all time. We've had 10 a.m. was amazing. Uh, we did, we had people come forward. We, I mean, this whole stage was full of people giving their lives to Jesus. 11.30, I mean, it was spilling out into the hall. But here's what I believe. I really believe we've saved the best for last. I, uh, listen, I've told you this, one o'clock has always been my favorite. So can we just decide together that this is going to be the best one? And so we're going to be into it. All right. So let me tell you what happened to me a few years ago. I got a notice from my homeowners association. And you know when your homeowners association reaches out, it's always a delight. And so they sent me a notice saying that I needed to get my driveway pressure cleaned. So, and you know, they're always like, you must respond within 14 days. So on day 13, I'm like, I guess I probably need to do something. So I'm driving into my development and I see a pressure cleaning uh, truck in front of somebody's house and a guy pressure cleaning. So I'm like, oh, perfect. I'm going to talk to the guy. I'm going to say, hey, can you, Asher, when you're done here, can you pressure clean mine? So I pull over and then I uh, walk up to him and I say, hey man, how much do you charge to pressure clean? And the guy gives me this kind of weird look and I, he kind of turns off the machine and I'm like, hey, listen, I, I need, my driveway is about the size of this driveway uh, and I need it pressure clean. How much do you charge? And the guy like doesn't answer. And I'm like, oh man, this guy doesn't speak English. So I'm like, oye caballero, déjame hacer una pregunta. And so I've always wondered how the translation people deal with that. Like when they're translating into Spanish, when I say that, do they translate it into English? I don't know. And I know I just blew some minds right there. Like, how did he do that? Wait till the end of the service when I start talking German. And uh, so, but I say it in Spanish and the guy says nothing. And then I realized like, dude, I'm being so rude. He's mute. So I'm like, I'm just going to say this in my most basic sign language. And so, cause yeah, this is getting better. So I say to him and I'm like, Hey, I, I need, I need you to come to my house pressure clean my driveway and the guy's looking at me and he says this is my driveway I don't own a company and I'm not coming to your house and because apparently I can't leave well enough alone I say then what about your truck and because there is a pressure cleaning truck right in front of his house and, he, and, and the guy says that's his and while I'm trying to communicate in three different languages the man who owned this truck had gotten out and had set up and was pressure cleaning the house next door and had started while I'm doing all this. And the guy, and, and so then, and I had this moment, if you ever saw the movie The Sixth Sense, when like Bruce Willis kind of figures it all out, that was me in that moment. And I was like, oh. And I was like, hey, uh, I'm going to head out. And I don't live here around here. So if you see a guy that looks like me, it's not me. So then I got home and I told my wife, honey, uh, bad news, we have to move. And so that, and, and we did. And so now, 
The reality is, is that sometimes, and, and you, you know this to be the case because we've all experienced that, that what you say and what other people hear is not the same thing. You ever, you ever notice that? Have you ever noticed that that happens? Like, you know, when you ever try to tell someone your name and they just cannot get it? And I, and I feel for people that have like really weird names. I guess you're not allowed to say that. Like very unusual names. And listen, I, I like always blame parents. If you have like some like totally weird name, it's like, listen, dude, if you don't like kids, don't have them. But don't give somebody some like totally weird name that's going to torture them their entire life. So anyway, but that's just me. But um, I have the easiest name in the world, Bob, right? But when someone can't get it, it makes me crazy. So I'll tell you this, a couple months ago, I go to a restaurant. I order, I call and say, hey, I want to pick up an order. They take the order and they say, all right, no problem. Uh, what's your number? Give them the number. Okay, it's gonna, what's the name for the order? And I said, it's Bob. And they're like, okay, Rob. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. My name, is, my name is Bob. And they're like, yes, we got it, Rob. It's going to be 20 minutes. And I'm like, no, I didn't say Rob. I said, my name is Bob. And they're like, and the girl starts getting indignant. She's like, yes, Rob, I heard you 20 minutes. And I'm like, you know what? Forget it. So I go, uh, I wait 20 minutes, I get there. And I walk into the restaurant and apparently these people get paid by how many times they say your name. Because I walk into this place and they're like, hey, are you Rob? You're, we have your order coming up, Rob. You want to go ahead and cash out now, Rob? Okay, Rob, why don't you have a seat here, Rob? Rob, can I get you anything to drink? Rob, would you like some rolls to go, Rob? And, then, and I mean, every time, it's like nails on the chalkboard. And then, as I'm talking to this individual, uh, some, one of the servers walks by and says, Pastor Bob, is that you? And the girl goes, Pastor Bob, why did you say your name was Rob? <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, take the wheel. And uh, I mean, it's just like, now, now here's the thing, right? Because, it, you know, we, we, we want people to know our name and hear our name. But I want you to think about for a minute what it would be like if God spoke your name. Now, I know there's people like, I want God to talk to me. I'm not going to believe unless God shows up in my bedroom. And it's like, dude, if God showed up in your bedroom, you would wet yourself. And, uh, and, and so it's like everybody's, everybody's excited about that until it actually happens. But here's the thing. Jesus, on the very first Easter Sunday, called people by name, three people in particular, after the resurrection. And what I want to do in our time together is I want to just explore the lives of these three people who Jesus called by name and whose lives were transformed forever. Now, here's what I believe to be the case with them and what I believe to be the case with us is that Jesus is going to call us in the same way that he called them. It's not just that he called them by name. He called them to live something different. He called them to leave something behind. He called them to believe and be transformed and be changed. And the truth of the matter is, is that every Easter, that's the hope that we have. We have this hope that we want, uh, you know, the past to be the past and for us to step into a future that's different than what we had before. And that's what God wants to do in your life and in mine. That's why Jesus rose from the dead so that we could experience forgiveness and transformation and that the past could be the past and the future could be something different and better and new. So we're going to start in the gospel of Mark chapter 16. And here's what we read. The first person whose name he calls, it says this, now, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone 
from the door of the tomb for us. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a, very lo- in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, what's the first thing that Jesus wants to do with this first life? Here's what he does. He wants to transform my failures into a future. Now, every one of us has made mistakes. Some of us have made big mistakes. Now, let me just say, it's 1 p.m. Some of you are awake. Anybody here, like, we've known each other for, what, like eight, nine minutes now, so we can be open. Anybody here, like, man, I've made a big mistake in my life, right? At least one. Anybody, like, hey, I've made one. This is the most response I've gotten all day. You know, 10 a.m., these people were like, and I was like, okay, let me say it again for those of you that went to public school. And then everybody's like, okay, yeah. And then in the second service, it was like we were doing an auction. Anybody make a big mistake? Like, listen, nobody's, like, taking photos here. That's like... People have, like, we've all made mistakes. And like the most horrifying thing in the world would be for all of us to just be like, hey, let me tell you about my big mistake. But here's the thing that I know is the case for most of us is that maybe we've made a big mistake or two or three, but it wasn't the same mistake in quick succession recorded for all of mankind to learn about. And that's what we have here. If you don't know, Simon Peter was Jesus's most famous disciple. But the thing is this, he had told Jesus on the the night that Jesus was betrayed, no matter what happens, if you're going down, I'm going down with you. If I have to die right next to you, we're going through this together. And when the moment came, when Jesus was arrested, everyone fled, everyone ran away. And then Peter kind of follows at a distance and then he makes this mistake. And Jesus had told him, listen, I know how you feel, but you're gonna deny even knowing me. And Peter's like, there's no way that's going to happen. And once again, all of us, right, we're like, yeah, I've made mistakes. But here's the thing. Most of our mistakes aren't three of the exact same one in quick succession written down for all of, you know, for the last, you know, two millennia, all of us studying it. But let me read to you what happens. It says this in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. A little later, those who stood up, uh, came, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you're one of them for your speech betrays you. And Peter began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Peter did the thing that he never thought he'd do. He denied not just being a follower of Jesus, he denied ever even knowing who Jesus was. And he left and he wept in a way that we only weep when it's like, I have made the biggest mistake of my life and it's never going back to normal. He thought he was totally finished. And in most cases, we would be finished. Except Jesus wasn't finished with him. Because there's something that Peter wasn't counting on. And it's this little word called grace. You see, that's why 
Peter's name is spoken and they tell the women, hey, listen, tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going to meet them. You see, listen, Peter is being offered a second chance. And listen, Peter is not his given name. His given name was Simon. And Simon is a Hebrew word that means shifting sand. It's the kind of name that's given to someone who's kind of unstable. But Jesus saw something in him um, a a little while before this and had changed his name to Peter, Petros in Greek, a word that means rock, stable, firm, solid. And that, listen, even though he failed, Jesus is still calling him by the name, not based on his failure, but based on everything that he can become. Because Jesus' thinking is this. If Peter's failure was the biggest, his repentance would be the deepest. His grasp of God's grace would be the greatest, and that would qualify him to be the kind of leader that's needed for this new movement that Jesus is starting. Now, here's what I know to be the case. All of us are looking for a second chance because we've all messed up, we've all made mistakes, and there have been moments for some of us where we might even think we've ruined things beyond repair. The good news of Easter, my friends, is that God is a God of second chances, Now, can I show you something? Can we fast forward Peter's life just a few weeks? And I want to show you something. Now, the Gospels, if you're not aware, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the account of Jesus' life from four different perspectives. Then, sometimes people are like, well, what happened next? Well, the book of Acts, the, the long name is the Acts of the Apostles, are what happened with the followers of Jesus who went into all the world to preach the gospel that Jesus was alive, that the resurrection happened. All of this, this book tells the story of the church as it grew. Well, here's what it says in chapter four. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It's amazing to me that threats of excommunication, threats of beatings, threats of imprisonment, threats of death, they didn't care Peter had a new vision for his life, and it was the vision that Jesus had given him. And listen, my friends, if we want life to be different, we've got to do things differently than we have in the past. There's this passage in the book of Proverbs, and if you've been around Calvary for a while, you know I quote it on occasion. But Peter actually quotes it in his epistle, his letter in the New Testament. But I'm going to quote it to you from the original passage in the Old Testament in Proverbs. It says this, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. The challenge that all of us experience is that we make a decision and it's a complete disaster. And guess what? You know what that makes you? Human. But now we have a choice. And that is, are we going to double down on the decision that we've made? Or are we going to realize I can make a different choice and take the trajectory of my life in a different way? Do I get this, do the same thing and get the same terrible results or I do, do I do things differently? Now, let me tell you how it works in my life. In something silly like home repair of which I know nothing. Typically what happens when something breaks in my house, I decide to fix it and I break it even further to the point where then professionals need to be called or I can kind of rig it in a way to then it works at about 75% of the way it's supposed to. That's typically in my life. Well, this, a while back, I had a toilet that kept running, and I needed to fix it. And I don't know what got into me, but before, typical me would be like, let me take apart the entire toilet to figure out what's going on. Which, by the way, a fixed toilet and a broken toilet look exactly the same to me. But I decided because, and I'm like, you know what? I bet you there's a guy on YouTube 
that all he does is talk about toilets. And truth be told, my friends, I found him. There's some, I don't know his name, but he's like some toilet guy on there. And by the way, I mean, be careful what you search. But anyway, um, so I watched this guy and he's like, you got a runny toilet? There's like three possible things. So I watched this video. I'm sitting in my kitchen. I watch it. I'm like, that's what's happening to me, you know? And then he says, well, you got to do is you got to go to the store. You got to buy this part. So at my leisure, I go to Home Depot. Now, listen, I run into people from Calvary everywhere I go. My least favorite place to run into Calvary people is Home Depot. Because when I'm at Home Depot, I'm usually in a bad mood. Something is broken. I've usually made it worse. And whenever I run into Calvary people, I'm at like my fourth or fifth trip. And I'm questioning why I was even born. Okay? And then, and then they're like, Pastor Bob, is that you? And I'm like, yeah, man. Praise the Lord. You know, and I'm just, I'm trying. I'm trying to be the guy. And so what happens is, is that, but I, I'm, I'm now at my leisure. And I grab one. I take it home. And then he's like, hey, if, you know, once you've got that and you got the part, watch my next video in my toilet series on how to fix it. So I just do what the guy says. I sit there. I go into the kid's bathroom, which the toilet wasn't running. I get my phone there. And I'm just now, I start taking it apart. I'm doing it as the video does it. 20 minutes and I'm done. It's finished, and I just keep flushing it. I'm like, there's no way this could be working, and the thing is working perfectly. So I walk out, and uh, I'm putting everything away. My wife walks out of, the, of our bedroom, and she's like, hey, how's it going? And I just said, I'm done. And she's like, I know it's frustrating. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not like, I'm done, like I'm done with my life. Uh, I'm saying, I'm done. And she's like, hold on, you're, you're, you're done? And I'm like, I'm saying I'm not done, done. She's like, you're like done, done? I'm like, I'm telling you I got 99 problems and a toilet ain't one. And so it was, I mean, and, and listen, but you know, this is an amazing thing that happens, right? In our lives, we have to make a decision. Are we going to just keep doubling down on the same old habits? Or could this Easter be the moment where we exercise some wisdom? We let Jesus call our name and things get better because... If you are still breathing, and I'm convinced that at least 90% of us are. You guys were slow on the uptake. Like the upload speeds are, are slow. Okay, so some of you are like, I've been holding my breath this whole time. And so now, but the truth of the matter is if you're still breathing, God isn't done. God has, listen, a plan for you. And if you are brave enough to embrace it, then listen, God and his love will transform you. And that is, listen, that's Peter's story. That's why Peter spent his entire life talking about the risen Jesus because that was the moment when his life had changed. And you know, but you say, man, it, that, it's not just, it's not my past failures that are really got me. It's my present hurts that I'm dealing with. Well, that's who Jesus calls next. Jesus calls next in the gospel of John chapter 20. Listen to what it says. It's starting in verse 11. It says, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stood down and looked. She stooped down and looked at the tomb. She saw two angels in white standing, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they were where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to her, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, please tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, what's the second thing that's important to note when it comes to when Jesus calls your name? And that is this, that Jesus wants to transform my hurts to hope. Now, here's the thing that you need to know. In the Gospel of Luke, we are told, we we meet Mary Magdalene, and here's what we're told about her, that she was a person that was demon-possessed, according to the Bible. Now, whether you believe that that was actually a spiritual thing or Some say, well, it wasn't that. It was probably a chemical imbalance or some kind of social disorder that hadn't been um, diagnosed. Okay, whatever it was, this woman was not well. People that were considered demon-possessed in this time, they lived outdoors, they talked to themselves, they walked the streets half-clothed, some of them with a, a, a strength that you shouldn't have with whatever size frame you have. And listen, that was her existence, until she encountered Jesus and her life was radically transformed. Now, here's the thing that you, it's important for us to understand, and it's different for us in the 21st century, trying to understand what life was like in the first century. But in the first century, if you were trying to cook up a story and start Christianity, which, by the way, I don't know why anyone would want to, because every person that we read about was beaten, imprisoned, tortured, and murdered. So I don't know, I was like, hey, sign me up for a lot of that. So, but these people who were there in the beginning, if you were deciding that you were going to cook up a story to start Christianity, you would not have the first person to see Jesus resurrected be Mary. Why? Because the culture wouldn't accept it. Truth be told, in the early years of Christianity, the fact that women were the first people to see Jesus after the resurrection in the first hundred years of the church hurt Christianity early on. In fact, there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Celsus. Celsus lived about 80 years after the resurrection. He hated Christianity, wrote several books opposing Christianity. I think his most famous was one that was called Against Christianity. It was some like very clever title like that. And so now let me give you a picture of Celsus so we know who we're talking about. Now, I was staring at this picture yesterday and I'm like, who does this guy remind me of? I can't place it. And then it came to me and that look. And I'm like, yes, yes, it's all in the eyebrows. And um, he looks like the dad from that 70s show. And so, except Red Foreman was way more clever than, than him. So you can take that down because nobody's going to pay attention to me. Now, Kelsis, this was his most famous quote in one of his books. How can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? That was his big problem with the church. Because this culture in the first century did not value women the way Jesus valued women. In the ancient world, women were not only not equal to men, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. Women had zero standing culturally. Jesus, in contrast, allowed women to be his disciples. He allowed women to participate in his ministry. Only one other rabbi in history, a rabbi by the name of Hillel, who lived about 50 years before Jesus, allowed women to follow him and be his disciples. But this was absolutely unheard of. That's why I I say this all the time if you've been part of Calvary, but no one has done more for the cause of women than Jesus of Nazareth. Now, 
the message of Jesus begins to spread and the leaders and the apostles, they begin writing letters to all of these churches explaining how do we live in the way of Jesus. And here's the, the apostle Paul, who by the way, was not a believer. He's one who, he attacked Christianity. He hated Christianity. He uh, beat, imprisoned, and opposed the church until he had an experience with Jesus who was risen and then he just, he totally changed and became a Christian, became an ardent supporter of the church and started planting churches everywhere throughout the Roman world before he was executed. Now, here's what he wrote in a New Testament book called Galatians. It says this, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, these people went out throughout the entire world saying something that was absolutely unheard of, and that is this, that men and women are totally equal in God's sight. And in Christ Jesus, in the church, men and women are totally equal. But outside of the church, the fact that Mary was the first person to see Jesus Hurt Christianity at first because of the cultural issues of the time. But the question then becomes, if that's the case, I mean, why write it? Right? Couldn't they just, ah, you know, and then some people were there, right? They could have, you know, gone just, you know, don't use proper nouns. It's just like, you know, there were some folks who arrived, you know. Instead, and here's what modern historians have said. If you were inventing a story about Jesus in the first century, you'd never put the testimony of women because it would hurt the message. And here's what they conclude. The only plausible reason why women were in the gospel account is because it actually happened, because that's the way it went down. But see, there's another reason. Just if we can go from the macro level to the micro level, why did Jesus appear to her first? Because this is a woman whose life was totally transformed, and she was completely heartbroken. This was her Lord, her teacher, who she believed to be the Messiah, and when he died, she thought everything was over. And so she shows up there, and Jesus is like, you know what? I'm going to tell her the good news myself. And I love that. Because, you know, when you have really good news to share, have you found that? That it's like, hey, I want people to hear it. I don't want them to hear from anybody else but me. When my wife and I found out that we were pregnant with our third child, we decided not to tell anyone. We were so excited. Because once again, it took my wife and I 10 years to have our first we, at one point, we thought we weren't even be able to have kids. And then we had our first. Two and a half years later, we had our second. Two and a half years later, Carrie was pregnant with our third. We were very excited, but we said, hey, let's wait till the first trimester's over. And then, um, so not, let's not say anything. So we go to Publix um, that day after we made that decision. And uh, we're getting some groceries. We're at the deli. And the de- deli person says, uh, hey, how are you doing today? And my wife says, I'm doing great because I'm pregnant. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'm like, hey, throttle back. Remember what we talked about? She's like, yeah, you're right. Okay, okay. So then we do the groceries and all that. And, and, um, and then uh, we get to the checkout counter. And, uh, and the, the girl that's checking out our groceries, the, the cashier, she says, so how are you doing today? Did you find everything you're looking for? And she's like, I- I'm really good because I'm pregnant. And, uh, and then they're having like a moment. And then my wife feels needs to tell the bagger so that the bagger doesn't feel excluded from this. And we're walking out to the car. And I'm like, Carrie... I can't tell my parents that you're pregnant, but the lady that cut the provolone had to be in the inner circle for some reason. And so, why? Because when you've got good news to share, I mean, it's, it's like impossible to bottle it. Now, here's the thing that you have to understand. Mary was at the tomb, not for good news. 
Mary was at the tomb to put spices on Jesus' dead body. She did not expect him to be alive. That's why she didn't recognize him. And that's the thing about Easter. Nobody was expecting no body. Nobody was expecting no body. And so Jesus tells her, hey, it's me. She freaks out. She grabs him. I mean, just like won't let him go. And that's like, he's like, you know, hey, can't like, let me breathe. And uh, it's like, you know, you go, go tell my disciples it's going to be good. And listen, listen, I'm telling you, my friends, there is no one who can transform a life like Jesus can transform a life. And if he can take a woman like Mary who had all kinds of problems, he can turn around anyone's life because the reality is, is that your transformation isn't found in clinging to your past. Your transformation is found in letting go of your past and watching God transform you into a new person. Because the reality is, is that when Mary encountered Jesus, she was no longer the person that she used to be. She had been something entirely new. The Apostle Paul, once again, to quote him, he says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All th- old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that is the promise for every person if we're willing to come to him. And here's what you say, Pastor, I get it, but I've, I've got questions. I've got these doubts. I, I, I've got this stuff, man. I just feel like I, I want to believe, but man, I, got these, I feel like there's these roadblocks. Then you need to listen to the other name that was called. Look at what he says in John chapter 20 in verse 24. It says, now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at, my, look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And if you pause there, here's the last thing I want to tell you. And that is that Jesus wants to transform my doubt into belief. Now, there is, this is the reason right here why Thomas is referred to as Doubting Thomas, which once again is a tough nickname when you're one of the leaders of the Christian movement, right? Who's that? That's Doubting Thomas, a guy who doesn't really believe. And uh, like, oh, well, you know, not really. And, uh, because, and I don't know why some nicknames stick more than others. I had a friend I went to high school with who I don't know what got into him. He's like a normal guy. But one day he decided to wear all pink to school. He wore pink shorts, pink socks, white sneakers with pink shoelaces, a pink shirt that had like handprints on it with the lead in hot pink letters that said, you can't touch this. This is also at the height of MC Hammer's popularity. And so now guess what his nickname was for the next three years of high school. It was Pinky. And it didn't matter what this guy did. It didn't matter how much black he wore, how many Metallica t-shirts he bought. That guy was known as Pinky until the day of graduation. And you know what's funny? Pinky is the person who gave me the nickname Bob. I, I, when I grew up in Boston, some of you know that, some of you know, but I grew up in Boston and moved to Florida when I was uh, starting the ninth grade. So I was in ninth grade 
uh, in Coral Springs at, at uh, Terravella, which is where I went to school and I eventually graduated from after many long years. And um, as I tell people, man, I've been in the school for seven years. I'm no dummy. Um, and so, but I remember in ninth grade, I walked into my earth space science class, sixth period with my teacher, whose name was Mr. Keener. And you're like, how in the world do you remember that? Because I, I still remember my locker combination from high school. Sometimes I can't remember my children's names, but some, you don't get to pick what gets stuck. But anyway, so uh, I walk in, I, I go into the class, I sit down, I'm the second seat in the second row. Pinky is first seat in the first row, and then my friend Al Brown, who became one of my best friends throughout high school, he was sitting uh, in the second seat, first row, parallel to me. And uh, so I introduced myself, I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? My name's Rob. And, and, and my friend Al's like, oh, hey, Rob, nice to meet you. And then Pinky turns around, and he says, what's your name? I'm like, it's Rob. And uh, he goes, you don't look like a Rob. You look like a Bob. And I'm like, well, it's Rob. And he goes, no, it's Bob. So the next day, I'm still introducing myself to people in school. I'm like, hey, I do. My name's Rob. I'm like, but I heard your name was Bob. And so, and that's how the switch happened. And now, I'm telling you, I've written seven books in my life. And every single one of them, it says Bob on the front. And I, every time I get like the first copy from the publisher, and it's like, I see it. And I'm like, thanks a lot, Pinky. And uh, I hope someday if you write a book, they make you write Pinky on the front. And um, now, Thomas is called the doubter. And listen, because of this moment, and we can all relate, because there are moments where uh, we, we have questions. And by the way, nothing wrong with having questions, as long as you don't have, let these questions become a barrier to keep you from God. And over the years, I've had t- people tell me why they don't believe, you know, I've had these questions that no one's been able to answer. And, you know, the reality is, Sometimes the questions are legitimate, and sometimes the questions are simply a smokescreen. That it's like, hey, I've got this stuff that I'm doing here that I don't want to really change, so what I'm going to do is try to throw out some questions so that that kind of becomes a a, a non-issue. Listen, here's my philosophy. Instead of having faith in your doubt, why don't you believe in your beliefs and doubt your doubts? It's a much better way to live. But the reality is this. We can all have questions, because one of the things that people might say is, oh, you know, if you're going to become a Christian, you've got to check your brain at the door. No, Christianity, uh, uh, outside of others, but Christianity is a thinking man's faith. But if you're going to have a question, let me just simplify it for you. Because for Christianity to be true, only one thing has to be true. And for Christianity to be false, everything else can be true. And if this one thing is false, it's false. And that is this. If the resurrection happened, then Christianity is true. And that's really what it comes down to. The resurrection is the crux of Christianity. That's why the apostles didn't set out when they were preaching the gospel. They didn't set out to answer everybody's random question about the Old Testament. No, they preached the resurrection of Jesus. And the thing about the resurrection is that it didn't happen in secret. In fact, I mentioned the apostle Paul who was a critic of Christianity until he saw the risen Jesus and became a a Christian. He wrote a book that we've been studying at Calvary, if you're with us, on other days besides Easter, um, we, he wrote a book called First Corinthians, written to a town in Corinth, which, uh, which is like in southern Greece. But he, he talks to them about the resurrection, and in First Corinthians 15, he tells them, and he says this, he says, uh, this is the, resur- the resurrection happened, and by the way, it, it, why don't you just ask people? So let me explain what I mean. Here's what it says. It says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the 12. 
that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all of the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Now, here's the thing that Paul is saying, because the book of 1 Corinthians was written less than 20 years after the resurrection. He's saying this, if you want to know if the resurrection happened, just ask some people, because Jesus appeared to hundreds of people, and most of those people are still alive. Now, here's the thing that you have to understand, is that around the time of Jesus, a little bit before and after, what was called messianic expectation, that is the idea that the Messiah was coming, was at an all-time high. And there were some people that would claim to be the Messiah, and they would gather a following. The most famous, probably about 100 years after Jesus, was a guy by the name of Bar Kafka. And uh, he claimed to be the Messiah. The most uh, noted rabbi of the time was a guy by the name of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva said, Bar Kafka is the Messiah. He gained, a, there was he had about 10,000 followers, and he amassed an army. They were going to overthrow Rome. And Bar Kafka went and got himself killed with his 10,000 followers. And that was the end. By the way, no one was claiming resurrection. Do you know why? It's because not everyone believed in resurrections. The Greeks and the Roman world was just, I mean, Greek culture was permeated throughout the Roman world. And the Greeks didn't believe in resurrection. They believed that salvation was the liberation of the soul from the body. So preaching, there's a guy that was dead. And then it went, soul went back in and he, got, he was alive again. That's not a message they were interested in. Many Jews believed in the resurrection, but they believed in the idea that the resurrection would happen at the end of time and everyone would be resurrected and then separated based on where their eternal destination was. But no one believed that one person was going to cut ahead of the line and be resurrected by themselves. So if the early Christians are looking for a message that everyone would believe without questioning it, this isn't the one. But they talked about it because it actually happened and they were beaten and told to recant and they wouldn't because it actually happened. They were imprisoned and told to recant and they wouldn't because it actually happened. And they went to their deaths and they wouldn't recant because it actually happened because they're saying, listen, this is what I saw. But you know that there's a bigger issue here because Thomas's problem isn't, I didn't see the wounds. I got to CSI those wounds to know if they're real. No, what Thomas lacked was peace. That's why Jesus shows up and he says, hey, peace to you. The, the, the Hebrew greeting of Shalom. And Thomas has this experience with God and that's where peace is found. Because my friends, when you're going through a season of fear or doubts, when you're going through difficulties, the thing that you want more than anything is peace. And that's what Jesus offers to us, that he wants to bring healing and hope into our lives. The pain that we've been struggling with, that's been like a prison that we do our best to kind of cover up and hope that nobody finds out, my friends, that is no way to live. That's not God's best for you. He wants you to be free. And so my question is, do you want you to be free? Because God wants to set you free from the things that are holding you down, the things that are holding you back. He wants to transform your life starting right now because that's what Easter is all about. And all it takes is for you to be open to the idea of Jesus coming into your life and transforming your life. So let's all stand together. And I know what happens when we talk about that, is that sometimes we'll say, yeah, that might be good, but you know, I'm not really into God. Well, can I tell you something? You might not be into God, but God is into you. 
And Jesus rose from the dead, listen, so that you could be forgiven, so that your past could really become the past, that you could have peace in the present and a future and a hope. And so listen, Jesus left an empty tomb. He rose again from the dead. And maybe it's time for you to rise as well. Time to rise above your past. Time to rise above your failures. Time to rise above your pain. Time to rise above your guilt, to rise above your fear, to rise above your doubt. It's time to rise above who you used to be and enter the life that God has for you. Because God wants to take your life and transform it. And it begins with being forgiven of everything that you've done. So the past really becomes the past. And that you truly then have a future. My friends, Jesus rose from the dead so that you would have an opportunity to rise as well. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, the band's going to begin to play. And here's what I want to invite you to. When they begin to play, this is your moment to rise. And I want you to leave wherever you're sitting and meet me here at the front of this platform, that this is your moment to say, I'm going to rise. And you know what we're going to do? I'm going to pray for you and lead you in a prayer. And God is going to begin the work of transforming your life. And you're going to leave this place different than you came in. Because that's what Easter does. Jesus left an empty tomb to fill people. And this is our moment. He rose, so now we can rise as well. So now it's your invitation to receive, to allow God to transform your life starting now. When they start playing, you come up and watch what God is going to do. George, why don't you lead us? You turn graves into God. bless you guys. God bless you. Come on, we're going to wait for you. God bless you. Yeah. 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 Come on, we're going to wait for you. This is your moment. Yeah, let's do it. Let me tell you something. You guys have all made an amazing decision. Can I, can I just tell, for everybody that's not up here and you feel like you need to be, the, the worst feeling in the world is to drive home after this service and say, this was my moment to rise and I missed it. Listen, I want to spare you that. This is your moment, man. God is calling you. And so if you say, this is me, I need to be up there, then listen, don't waste another second. Let's do this right now. God wants to do this work in your life. And so listen, if that's you, right now, we're not going to sing another chorus and give me another song. This is it. And I'm going to pray with these guys. These guys have done, you've made an amazing decision. What I know is this, is that God 
listen, traversed heaven and earth to come here, to live a perfect life and die a horrible death and rise a gloriously as he resurrected to transform our lives. Listen, that's the promise that we have. And today you've taken a step, and here's what I know, is that none of that is going to be wasted. That God wants to do a work in you. Here's what the, how the Bible puts it. It's a work that is exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Here's what that means, exceedingly, abundantly above. It means this, that my wildest dream from my life doesn't even scrape the bottom of the good that God wants to do. That's what he wants to do in your life. So we're going to pray together, and then I want to lead you in a simple prayer. So let's pray, church. Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that you hear us, that you love us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us long before we ever even cared about knowing you, God. But you cared for us. And so, God, today is our day, our day to acknowledge you, to confess before men that Jesus is Lord to believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead and that we could be saved, spared, transformed by your power. Those of you that have come forward, I want to invite you to repeat this prayer with me out loud. They might be my words, but I pray that they would express your heart to God in this moment. Just say, dear God, I come to you today and I'm sorry for all I've done wrong, but I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you. I want to rise. Starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, All you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.